If you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, the end of Acts 2, as we continue our sermon series together through this amazing New Testament history book that we're entitling Empowered to Tell, that God has given us this amazing privilege of not only living in good news, not only soaking in the good news that what he's done for us in Christ Jesus, but also uh, that he has empowered us to tell the good news through our words and through our deeds, the way we love him, the way we love one another. And let me begin with a question. When you're at a wedding, what is your deepest thought? I mean, what are you really thinking about at that wedding? Now, I was supposed to be rhetorical. You don't have to say it out loud. A couple of you did, but I mean, man, that, that person's passionate, huh? But what are you really thinking at, at a wedding? Guys, I, I know you. I mean, you're probably thinking, okay, this thing's supposed to start at 2, uh, kickoffs at 3.30, uh, you know, let me see if we can get out of here. You know, I mean, guys, seriously, it's a wedding. Is anybody else kind of cynical? I mean, somewhere deep down, at a wedding, do you get a little cynical because everything looks so picture perfect? You got the beautiful dress and you got the family all looking good and everybody's there and they're saying all syrupy things and they're vowing this eternal lifelong love. Is there, am I the only one who's kind of like, kind of cynical? Really? I mean, don't you want to say now, by the way, let's see how this picture looks in a couple of years, right? Let's see what really happens. And it's really bad when you're the cynical one and you're leading and officiating the wedding. <laughs> but why? I mean, God gave us marriage. It's a beautiful thing. And, you know, you start with a picture-perfect ceremony. They're not all that way, but they're pretty close. And you, you just know that reality doesn't look this picture perfect. You just know the reality that, that life, life just doesn't fit this frame. And there's too many issues that are going to ooze into the story that already are there. And the reality is, is that that wedding day, picture perfect, pristine, white, everything so good, doesn't it look like Yahoo just doesn't always become reality. Well, we're going to look at a picture of the church today that's a lot like that wedding day. It's a lot like that, that picture-perfect scene. And, and many of you are going to be cynical. And many of you are going to hear God's word and say, oh, yeah, whatever. I mean, come on, tell me the truth. What was really going on here? I mean, is God really being honest with us when he's showing us what the church looked like then? Well, let's, let's remember that what has happened. I mean, the church has gone through an amazing change. I mean, the church begins in the book of Acts, very small. I mean, they could fit right here on the floor. I mean, the entire church of Jesus Christ could fit right here. It's incredible. And as God has promised, Jesus, the resurrected Savior, has promised that he would pour out the Holy Spirit upon this group of believers. And they together would change the world. That, that, that the gospel... This empowered gospel, the good news that God is for us, the good news that God loves us, the good news that Jesus died for us, the good news that this Jesus is still alive, the good news that this Jesus is now ruling and reigning at God's right hand, the good news that the kingdom really has come and the Holy Spirit now has been poured out on us. And now that we are empowered with this good news, everything changes. 
Lives were turned upside down. Creatures, sinful creatures were made new. A community was born that was completely radically different than anything else. What we see is, what were they devoted to to get here? What was God doing? And we're going to see a picture of a church that's gospel soaked. And what I mean by that is they they were marinating in, they were marinating in good news. The gospel is good news, what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. They were soaking themselves in that good news. They were kingdom focused. If you remember through the study of the book of Acts, the first thing that Jesus was doing, uh, appearing to them for 40 days, was teaching them about the kingdom, empowering them to live in submission to him and on mission for him. They were gospel, so kingdom focused. But they were also this. They were spirit filled. The Holy Spirit was poured out upon them and, and everything was changed. And now they were that which God had called them to be. A witnessing community. A church and the bride of Christ. As we studied the book of Acts, I've often said for us to understand this passage, we have to understand the back story. If you remember, the day of Pentecost came, and I said, you don't really get Pentecost until you look back to Babel, and you look back to see what God is doing, uh, fulfilling all the promises of the Old Testament. But for us to get this story, we, not, we don't need to look back as much as we need to look forward. You're about ready to see the church, and it's going to be that wedding day picture. But don't forget that just in a few chapters... They're going to be those who are going to lie to the Holy Spirit that will cost them their life. Just in a few chapters, they're going to be widows who are, are neglected. I mean, this place was like us. Guess what? Messy and broken and still sinful. The early church, oh my goodness, read through the epistles. They were scandalous. They were broken. They still needed a savior. So this picture perfect picture doesn't include all the reality. We got to look forward and remember that they were things that they had to wrestle with as well. And also, by the way, remember, this isn't where the church started. The church, the name, the, the name uh, in Greek for the church is ekklesia. It means called out. And those called out of darkness into light, those called out into a relationship with God, those are the church. We are the church. And that includes, I believe, Adam and Eve. I believe it's uh, Abraham. And so this is the New Testament church. This is the church empowered with the Holy Spirit. But there's always been, as long as God has created man, a people that he has called to himself. That is the church. We sang about it. One day the church victorious, all of God's people will be gathering in his name. And we will be at rest in what Christ has done for us. But this isn't the beginning of the church. This is the beginning of the New Testament church. All right, that's a little side note. But what we have to look at is this. How does the empowered gospel produce such a radical change in a group of people. Don't forget, so far in the book of Acts, we've realized that these were ordinary, scaredy-cat, prone-to-wander people that have been amazingly empowered. And you want to say, what has brought about this empowerment? Well, we see them to be these things, and they'll be an outline to follow along with the bulletin. They're a learning community. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They were a united community. They were a loving and united community around Christ, a generous community a winsome community, then a growing community. We'll look at all that that means. So let's look to the book of Acts, Acts chapter two. We're gonna pick up the story right where Luke left us last time in verse 42. Uh, Peter has preached an amazing sermon. People have been cut to the heart. They're crying out, what must I do? 
Peter is pointing into the gospel to be saved and to be repent and baptized in Christ's name. 3,000 people have come to know Jesus through one sermon. The church is growing. It no longer fills not even this room anymore. And now we get a picture of this church in verses 42 through 47. Hear God's word. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let us pray. Oh, Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that was poured upon the believers that day of Pentecost, that we have the privilege of asking to be poured out afresh again on us. Holy Spirit, come. Come through the power of the preaching of your word and come with such power that you open up our ears to hear Jesus' voice and our minds to understand your truth. For our minds to understand, what do we do with a picture like this? It seems so idyllic. Is it really true? Is this really what we're called to be? How do we be like this? What are you teaching us? Holy Spirit, come. Fill our minds with your truth and your presence so we understand your word. Holy Spirit, come in a way that just quickens our hearts, livens our hearts, gives us the ability to embrace your truth and believe it. Break our hearts of, of sin and break our hearts of unbelief. And fill them with your truth. Oh, for the glory of your great name. And for the health and the beauty of this church. Holy Spirit, come so that we can walk out of here in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And worthy of the good name of Jesus. That we can be the witness that you've called us to be. The testimony, the church, the bride that one day we'll become. Father, I pray that the things that are said that are my opinion are wrong. May those things quickly fall away and be forgotten. But the things that are true and contain the good news of Jesus, that you'd use those things to make us more like your son, our Savior. And it's in his powerful and precious name we pray. Amen. As we see this picture, we know that the Holy Spirit has been poured out upon the church. And man, the apostolic teaching that these guys have and the amazing growth that that the church is now experiencing more than just growth. It's true transformation. The gospel of Jesus Christ has created a whole new community. Did you just see it? I mean, it's a whole new way of doing life and doing life together because of this empowered gospel. The empowerment of the Holy Spirit and the teaching is now bearing fruit. There's people day by day coming to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And we need to look at what were the things that were happening? What are the elements? What are the ingredients that we can look at and say, do we have them? Are they here? Because I know that there's many that we need to look at, examine, and say, yes, we need these truths to become the church 
the empowered church, the witnessing church that God has called us to be as well. Let's look through again. You got an outline there in the bulletin if you want to follow along. The first one is this. They were a learning community. They were a a group of people gathered together that were absolutely, listen, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Interesting, when you look at this word apostles' teaching and you examine it, it really means doctrine. They, they They were devoted to the doctrine that they were receiving from these apostles, the teaching of God's word. I love the beauty of the reality of this. Because sometimes the church looks at, if you have those like holy high mountaintop experiences and all you need is the Holy Spirit and all you need is to feel good and to be together and sing kumbaya, that you don't really need to dig into God's word. This is not what was happening to the early church. The early church had had an amazing pouring out of the Holy Spirit. They had been quickened. They had been made alive. New creatures in Christ Jesus. The gospel was becoming real to them. And they were going to God's word with an amazing hunger. They were devoted to it. And here's the reality. They weren't going to God's word to get information. They were going to God's word to be trans- have transformation. I mean, they were being transformed and and God's spirit was present in the apostles teaching and and God was taking all of his word and he was opening it up to them. And they were saying, oh, my goodness, from Genesis and all the law and the prophets, it's all about Jesus. Wow, this is amazing. Are you telling me that the law that I was afraid of, the law that was such a burden, it seemed like religion and Moses were so hard, but I'm receiving grace and mercy through this Jesus. I mean, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching because here's what they were learning. They were seeing that on every page of Holy Scripture, Jesus has fulfilled the demands of God. On every page of sacrifice, Jesus was there and it all pointed to him. And they were being so transformed, they were just devoted to it, gobbling up. That 3,000 are all there saying, I need to know more. I need to know more about this Jesus the one that we just baptized, got, our, got baptized in his name. The one who is now my identity. The one who is now my hope. I need to know more of my savior, my big brother, my friend. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. It was a church that was hungry. Gospel-soaked, spirit-filled, kingdom-focused, and hungering for God's word. The reality is this, where the spirit of God is, The Spirit of God will give you a hunger for God's holy word. And where the Spirit of God is, he will always point to Jesus and the beauty and the teaching of Jesus. Are you devoted? I mean, devoted to God's word. I mean, devoted in the point where, oh, I gotta have my quiet time. That's what a Christian does. No, no, no. God's called me into a relationship with him. He's made me radically new. He's forgiven me. And now I get to devote myself to his word to, to learn more about who he is and what he's done and what he requires of us. A learning community. The second thing is this, is a unified community. When I went through this outline, I almost used loving community. I thought, good, I'll keep my L's going together, learning, loving, you know. But unified is really the key word here. Yes, they were a loving community. But you know what's amazing about this community? I mean, absolutely stop in your tracks amazing about this community is how unified they were. Now, don't forget what Acts has already taught us. This is a diverse community. Remember those who were there at Pentecost? He tells us very clearly that there were people from from the table of nations. 
There were people there with, that spoke different languages. There were people there that had different ethnic backgrounds. There were different people from different socioeconomic status. There were people that were gators and seminoles. I mean, these, these were diverse people. And just the amazing thing is something happened that gave them a common bond that changed everything. They had a common fellowship. The Greek word for fellowship is koinonia. It's, it's a powerful word that doing, sharing life together. But really at the, re, work, uh, the root word koinonia is the Greek word koinos, which means common. Common. So the question is, what did the early church have in common that changed everything? Because what they had in common led to an amazingly uncommon fellowship. And the uncommon, listen, what they had in common was Christ. What they had in common was Jesus as Lord and King. What they had in common was the name that was above every name that they knelt to. And that, that one person, that one Savior, that one name gave them all things in common. It united them. It gave them an unusual fellowship, an uncommon fellowship. And Scripture says that the uncommon fellowship that you and I share in Christ Jesus, listen to this, begins with God. If we have in common, Jesus is our Lord and Savior, we now, you ready for this? We have an uncommon fellowship with God. God is now for us, not against us. God is now our Father. God is now our friend. Jesus is now our Savior. We have this fellowship. And here's what Scripture says. Now this this uncommon fellowship we have in Christ Jesus, we now together have fellowship with God. 1 Corinthians 1, 9, 1 John 1, 3. We now have fellowship in Christ's blood. 1 Corinthians 10, 16. When we say, sing, take me to the cross, we together have this uncommon fellowship to realize it was the blood of Christ that made us clean. It was the blood of Christ that's washed away our sins. We have this uncommon fellowship with the cross of Christ Jesus and the blood of the lamb that has made us whole. We have an uncommon fellowship with Christ's sufferings. Philippians 3.10 says, now we are his witnesses. We are the church. And he says, you're going to suffer and you're going to have fellowship with me through suffering. There's some brothers and sisters, even this morning, whose life is in danger for proclaiming the name of Jesus. By God's grace, that's not where we are. I say by God's grace, the church really does well under persecution, by the way. But we are called to be his witnesses in a way that we stand up and say, we believe that Jesus is who he says he is. And we give our life to him as our king. And doing so will cost you something. And then he says, there's a fellowship in it. There's there's a common connection. I suffered too. Share in my sufferings. There's a fellowship there. Now that we have Christ in common and a fellowship with God in common, we are called to do life together. We are called to together live and love him, unified. It says, if we have this in common, we should be breaking the bread. It has an article in front of it, breaking the bread. Clearly, it has to have some pointing to the Lord's Supper that pulls us together. But it also says they were breaking bread in homes. We should have fellowship in each other's homes. We should be praying for each other, the prayers, praying with each other, praying for each other. And when we give you a bulletin that lists the needs of, of, of our church. Take that home. It's a fellowship that we get to share in common of praying for one another. We have a common burden in Christ that we are, these are the days of Elijah. What's it saying? 
well, that's, that's a great song, but what does it really mean? It means this, that today's the day that we're to be his witness. Today, today's the day that we're to be the ones that declare jubilee. What does that mean? That God is for us, that he forgives us, that Jesus really has secured salvation for us. Today is the day. It's our time. Church, this is our time right now to be the church, to be the witness. That's a common bond that we share, a common burden. How does spending time with people affect the way you see them? Does it make you share more in common or does it separate you? I mean, isn't it true usually the more time we spend with people, the more irritating they become? And they got, you know, some of you got some real issues. And some of you, the more, the more I spend with you, I just realized some of you got quirks, you know, and there's this things. And, and after time, sometimes we, we realize that we have more not in common than we have in common. But the amazing thing about the gospel is it should unify us. You know what the gospel of Jesus Christ should create in us? It should allow us to love each other in the midst of our differences, in the midst of our brokenness. I love coming to a Friday night game here. It's a great game, incredible game, our homecoming. I, I, I parked next to a guy who had a political sticker on his car that I don't believe in. And I'm like, wow, man, that's pretty cool you're here. And I don't know where he was in faith, so I don't know if we have that common or not, but I'm just knowing the reality that in Christ Jesus, that's the common bond that should link us together. We should have all things in common, essentially, because we have Christ in common. Here's the reality I also want you to see. Listen, they devoted themselves to fellowship. They devoted themselves to live life together. Do you understand that? It was a priority. It wasn't just, oh, my walk with Jesus is fine and God's word is fine and it's probably good to hang out. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. They basically says, we're gonna do life together. And here's the reality. It's really hard and it's really messy. I mean, even in my own community group, I mean, there's just times that people show up with issues I'm kind of tired of hearing about. Not again. Oh, here we go. And yet I realize what a joy it is to hear it. And, and God's called me to carry it. I'm, I'm telling you right now, if you're not devo- devoted to fellowship, you're not going to do it. I mean, devoted to it. Devoted to say God's called me to live life together. Because you want to know what? It's hard. And it's messy. And many of you are going to say, I got too many of my own problems, my own family, my own stuff. My, 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 my. Why should I carry yours? Because God's word says we are, the gospel should make us so new that we are devoted to one another. So devoted to one another when it gets stinky and smelly and we're bleeding all over each other. And when life's junk is just getting in our way, we say, you know what? I'm committed to Christ. And this is my brother and his stuff is my stuff. And we're committed to do life together. Christianity is a team event. Christianity, and I don't know what's happened in America over these last decades, but Christianity has become an individual pursuit. It's like an individual pursuit of, of peace and uh, what, what is it? Uh, life, liberty, and happiness. Life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. Somehow we think that Christianity is an a individual thing for us to do. God has never designed Christianity to be an individual pursuit. Yes, there's amazing truth that individually, Jeff Jakes has been forgiven by God's grace through the work of his son. Individually, I am a child of the king and boy, do I want to rejoice. But he always did it with a greater purpose of community and his family. It's never just been about you. It's always been about us. 
So true. You know, that in the book, uh, in the year 2000, a guy named Robert Putnam came out with a book that looked at the society of America right now. And the book was entitled Bowling Alone. He said that a phenomenon has happened in America that people show up to bowling alleys to bowl alone. Bowling was not supposed to be an alone, a single, you know, event. Who goes just by themselves to put their feet in those shoes, you know, and to smell that smoke? I mean, bowling's supposed to be done together. You're supposed to, like, get a bunch of people in a lane, you know, and make fun of each other and have a hoot of a time. That's bowling alone. His whole point was we're such a broken society that we don't even know how to do, like, team events together. It's all alone. Are you doing Christianity alone? I mean, I got to tell you, no matter how, how much you think that this pursuit of yours is going to be just you and Jesus and the Bible, you weren't designed for that. Christianity is not to be bowling alone. They were devoted to fellowship. Listen, they were devoted to it. Are you? They were a generous community. Generous, giving to those in need. I mean, with, with an amazing, generous heart. Here's what you got to hear. You will never be generous as long as you live for yourself. If you are living for you, if your primary goal is your name, your reputation, your stuff, if life is centered around you, you could give a lot of things and you could be seen as very philanthropic in many things. But I promise you, according to the biblical definition, you will never be generous. I mean, this is a generosity that basically stems from the reality that you see that my identity and my security and my name is in Christ Jesus, not in my stuff. And that, that, that God is the one who owns it all. And, and God is the one who, who gives us things into our lives so they could be used for his glory and his fame and his name. And if you live for yourself and your stuff, you will be focused on holding on to that stuff and your identity and the fear of losing it. And you will give only that which don't, doesn't really hurt. But if the gospel so gets to captivate your heart and you realize that God has called you to such a greater calling than living for just you, but living for the King of kings and Lord of lords, guess what? He could crack your heart into a generous heart. And the reality is you can realize is your resources aren't yours and they could be used for something greater than your retirement. They could be used to, to bring people into a relationship with the king. They could be used and live your life in a way that just demonstrates that we believe in something greater than the American dream. We believe in a kingdom that's come and a king who's coming back. And we're generous. Now, this isn't a communistic community, by the way, because they sold their stuff and they met in their homes and there were still homes to meet in. It doesn't call us not to have possessions as far as homes or cars. It just says you've got to be radically holding them so loosely that they're not your identity. They're not your security. And we have generous hearts. They were a worshiping community. A worshiping community that worshiped both formally in the temple and informally in homes. Now listen, this is one of the first things you've got to understand. God has never created anybody ever in history of time who's not a worshiper. Every single person who's ever been created in the image of God, that includes all of them, has always been created to worship. And guess what? Every single person who's ever been created and lives right now is going to be worshiping something. If you meet an atheist, you meet an agnostic, and they say, I don't believe in God, they still are worshiping something. 
It might be themselves. It might be their money. It might be their reputation. It might be their spouse. It might be their kids. But God never made a non-worshipper. I'll never forget being in a Bible uh, um, a, a book study with some neighbors. And there was a man there that was not a believer. So we picked a book that wasn't a Christian book. But you know that no matter where you pick a story, it's always going to lead to the ultimate storyteller. And as we discussed this book and, and we just took a, God became a topic, I knew this man's background. I knew he traveled a lot and he went into a lot of jungles in Africa and a lot of very remote locations. And I said to him, I said, have you ever gone to a place that didn't have worship? Did you ever find a tribe that was not worshipers? Never once. Do you evolve to worship? I mean, if it's, if it's a survival of the fittest, you wonder why we worship? Because it's printed upon us as God's image. And listen, they were devoted to worship and they were devoted to public worship in the temple and private worship in each other's homes. This is the early church. Some of you who are pretty astute scholars are probably thinking, what are they doing in the temple Hasn't been destroyed yet. I don't believe they were sacrificing. They were meeting outside and they were meeting. They were, they were, they were, that's what it started. We know through scripture, the ultimate temple is, uh, is going to come when Jesus comes back. And now we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. But here's the point. They were devoted to public and private worship. Are you? Are you devoted to it? They were a winsome community, it says. They were respected and attracted, attractive to the community around them. Church, we need to know this. When we are gospel-soaked, marinating in the good news that God loves us and is for us, when we are spirit-filled, we are kingdom-focused, we are to be a winsomely offensive church. It says they were a joyful church. I'm glad it didn't say they were a happy church. They, they, they had glad hearts. They, you know, joyful means that no matter what comes, God is for us and God is with us. No matter what happens, God, in an amazing way, can work all things out for our good and his glory. But a church will not always be a happy place. There's just too many of you that are sitting in here that are battling cancer. There's too many of you that are sitting in here that have the marriages that are, that are on the brink. There's too many of our children that are heading in the wrong direction. It doesn't mean that we bury our heads in the sand and we say, oh, everything's happy. We lift our heads up and say, we're a broken people, surrounded by broken people that are struggling to the core with what life has to offer. But we know that we have a life that reigns in us in Christ Jesus that will never be touched. And our king is coming back and he's bringing a kingdom. And one day there will be no more tears. And one day there'll be no more cancer. And one day there'll be no more death. There'll be no more divorce. There'll be no more sorrow, but it's not today. But we know the day's coming. They were a winsome community because they had devoted themselves in such a way to God and each other. But here, we can't, we can't miss this. They were a winsome community devoted to the apostles' teaching. What's your point, Jeff? A winsome community is a community that's leaning forward, that is unapologetic about God's word, unapologetic about what God says to be truth, that Jesus really is the way, the truth, and the life, that there really is a specific way that marriage should honor God, that there really is a way to live our lives to bring him glory. It's winsome community basically says, I'm standing on the promises and the truth of God's word unapologetically. We don't have to burn Korans. We say we believe in who God says he is and how he's revealed in scripture. But here's the reality. But I love God and I love you in his name and we love our neighbors as ourselves. 
You know what winsome means? I mean, Christianity is about God's grace, is it not? Christianity is about a God who's amazingly forgiven. Christianity gives us the freedom to tell the truth about the fact that we need a savior. We're broken. We should not be the church throwing stones. We should not be the ones who are pointing fingers. We should be the ones on our knees, absolutely repenting of our sins and say, come join me because there's a God who forgives. There's a God who bleeds and he offers space for you here too. I mean, a winsome community stands unapologetically on God's word, but absolutely broken, realizing that we are just so needy of a savior. That's winsomeness of the gospel. We're a growing community. The Lord added to their daily number, their, their number daily. You know, you know why churches don't grow? They don't want to. Not fully. But who likes change? None of you do. Well, a couple of you weirdos might, but in the most part, you guys are saying, I like it like it is. How come we got to change our Sunday school? And how come we're, in, we're electing these new officers? I don't even know them. What are we doing differently? How can we change this? I want to go back to that. I mean, do we really want to change? Let me tell you something. God's church is always changing to become the bride of Christ that she will be. And we should always be changing to represent him to our culture. Never changing who God is. Never changing God's word. Standing on God's promises. But doing anything we can to grow. You know, who added, guess who added to their number daily? Guess who, who brought the growth? It was the Lord. And here's where we should be growing. We should be growing as our witness. We should be growing as our witness right now to our community that Jesus really is Lord and Savior. We should be growing in our grace and our knowledge of Lord and Savior. We should be hungering for him. And we should be becoming more and more like the church he's called us to be. And we should be becoming more and more the witness that we should be by our words and our actions, the way we love one another. We should become a growing church. And oh, how I long to grow numerically. The Lord, I pray, brings that. But here's how we do not want to grow. By some church imploding down the street that brings us new people. You know how we want to grow? By those who have never known the amazing truth of what Jesus has done. And by God's grace, they've come to a God who loves them and forgives them. And they say, wow, everything is new. That's how we want to grow. Are you inviting your friends? Are you inviting your neighbors? You bring them here. We're going to preach them the gospel. We'll tell them the truth about who God is and they'll see a broken sinner in love with Jesus. May God bring us growth by his grace. I'm going to end with a story. About 11 or 12 years ago, Katie and I went to the PCA, our denomination's assessment center, to become church planters. After nine years of doing student ministry and having the privilege of preaching on a regular basis, I felt God was calling me to become a senior pastor and calling me to come, maybe a, a church planter. And so we had, a, in, in our denomination, for us to uh, um, become, to be vetted, to become a church planter, you got to go through an amazing process. I mean, one thing about our denomination, we're thorough. And so they, they want to know my, our personality stuff. They wanted to have all kinds of references, and they had a, a whole process for us to go through. And one of the things we had to do is we had to meet in front of a marriage counselor. And on the way up, we decided to drive up instead of fly up, so we had more time to process. And so on the way up, when we were thinking about what God is going to call to us next, uh, it, was, it was interesting. I said to Katie, I said, listen, when we meet with a marriage counselor, let's pretend we're in a big fight. I, 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 
I'm going to start calling you names. And I start listing the names that you wouldn't want me to call. I'm, like, I'm going to call you this. I'm going to call you that. She's like, oh, stop it. <laughs> but we're laughing, thinking, oh, wouldn't that be hilarious if we roll in there and just start like acting crazy, you know? And so the lady walks in and we're sitting there waiting for our marriage counseling. And, you know, they have all our stuff. And here she comes in. And, oh, she didn't look like she was going to ever smile. <laughs> I'm not sure the last time she smiled. I'm really, I'm not. I don't think any joke she heard was funny. And so I took that good information I'm already getting and what I decided to do. Tell her what I was about ready to do. Hey, let me tell you what I was going to do. I was, you were going to come in here and I, I, I was going to start calling my wife some names I shouldn't call her. We were, I was going to yell at her and scream at her. And, and, and she didn't laugh one bit. <laughs> she just kind of looked at me like, oh. I'm nervous as anything now. I'm like, oh, man, this is not going well. And so then she says, uh, these first words out of her mouth, how do you make your marriage work? You guys are so different. I'm like, different? What? I've been married for 15 years. We're, we're just alike. Different? I mean, it was, listen, it was news to me that my wife and me were different. And she started to go through our personality profiles and Katie went on that side of the way and I went on this. I'm like, oh my goodness, we're worlds apart. No wonder we need counseling. (laughs) No wonder we have some issues. Whoa. Why did I miss it? Because we were devoted by God's grace to Christ. And we were devoted to marriage. And we were devoted and we had in common so many things that absolutely blurred what was not common about us. See, the reality is this, is God has called us to be the bride of Christ. And all of our differences and all of our brokenness, that we can be identified. And the commonness we have with our Savior in his name that makes all things new. What are you devoted to? What are you really, really devoted to? I know you. You're devoted. Is it your work? Is it your kids? Is it your retirement? Is it your name? What are you devoted to? I mean, the things you will not miss, the things that you will not stop doing, what are you really devoted to? And until we can say as a people, we are devoted to the apostles' teaching. It's God's word and we're not going anywhere. We are absolutely devoted to fellowship. We gotta do life together. We are absolutely devoted to to be a winsome community. We're devoted to be a worshiping community. We are absolutely devoted to one another in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We'll never be the bride he's called us to be. What are we devoted to? Let us pray. Father God, by your grace, according to your mercy, you give us the privilege of being devoted to something more than ourselves. (laughs) That we have the privilege of being devoted to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, to be devoted to God's holy word, as clearly seen as through the apostles' teaching. Devoted to doing life together as you intended us to do. Devoted to worship as we were created to do. And to be the community and the bride you've called us to be. God, I thank you so much for the gospel and the truth of Jesus Christ. That it, This becoming the church doesn't even dep- depend ultimately on us. It's on you and the Holy Spirit. And that we know, we know that one day, We will be the bride that you see us today. Not there yet, but one day we will be that bride. And until that day, Holy Spirit, pour upon us afresh so that we could be devoted, devoted to the things that we need to be devoted to, to be the people you've called us to be. 
It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.